Hi, I'm Kirsten McGregor, and you're listening to A Grey Matter, the neuroscience podcast from the Queensland Brain Institute. It sounds like something from a sci-fi movie, but deep brain stimulation, or DBS, is an increasingly common procedure for neurological disorders, like Parkinson's disease. It still requires highly specialised skills, of course, like those of Professor Peter Silburn from the Queensland Brain Institute's Asia-Pacific Centre for Neuromodulation. Peter divides his time between research and clinical work, and along with his colleague, Associate Professor Terry Coyne, has performed more than 800 DBS procedures over the past 20 years. Together, they've trained most of the DBS practitioners in Australia. The potential for DBS is vast, as I discovered when I caught up with Peter to mark World Parkinson's Day. Deep brain stimulation is a technique where you place electrodes in the middle of the brain and you find areas that aren't working properly and you're able to stimulate them to improve the function. And these areas in the deep brain spread out for the rest of the brain but also, of course, control other things in the body. Can you talk me through that process by which you put the electrodes in? Putting the electrodes in the brain really involves a whole team, which is good and it's important to do that. And once we have an idea of where the target is, we like to confirm we're in the target and we like to test stimulate there before we leave the electrode in permanently. So really the process is necessary to find the target But it's kind of not sufficient. You have to have the right person with the right condition and have a whole lot of team because the brain requires programming after we put the electrode in. So we have to be able to talk to the person's brain without touching it. And how we do that is if we come back, we've got to find the target. So we have to get very good images of the brain and we have that now at uh, the University of Queensland with very powerful scanners. Once we can see the target, we um, then place the electrode down, carefully of course, and we look for cells that are working, firing, so we can watch actually individual brain cells and the person is awake. And we can ask some questions and we can see tremors stop or hands become easier to use again, all sorts of different things. The brain controls a lot. The final thing then is that we seen the images, we know the target's there, we've confirmed we're in it, we've test stimulated and then a permanent electrode is placed there on a lead that comes up through the brain on top of the bony part of the skull and under the skin though so you can't see it and then it tracks down to what we call like a pacemaker, heart pacemaker, it is the brain stimulator and we can then talk directly to those neurons and tell them how we want them to work. I'm still way back on you can talk to the patient during the process. So you're drilling through their skull, you're embedding an electrode in their brain, and you're talking to them? Yeah, it's interesting. The yucky bits, if you like, like that, people are asleep. But we once we're finished um, drilling the hole, and my colleague, Social Professor Coyne, we've, this is about 859 cases we've done, You know, he knows what he's doing to be able to do that comfortably and clearly so we can get the probe down there. So the yucky bits are done while people are asleep and then once we're happy, we wake them up and can talk to them. They cannot feel these 
things because the brain itself has no pain. It's, that's where pain is interpreted, but not really feeling it. Mm. Does that mean you're seeing instant results? Someone can tell you straight away that symptoms of, say, Parkinson's have been alleviated? Yeah, we can see things immediately in Parkinson's, which is a condition that affects motor things, tremor, stiffness and slowness. But other non-motor things, like, you know, there are people like thinking and mood, change in sense of smell, sleep, all these non-motor things in Parkinson's can be equally disabling. But we can see motor things pretty straight up quickly. Why is it so effective in Parkinson's? Parkinson's, it's been around a long time, the surgery, um, many years in fact. And why is it so effective is that these circuits in the brain have been well worked out over time. We know the nodes of uh, movement in the brain and we know where to go. So once we're there, we really know how to stimulate them and it has an immediate effect. The brain cells themselves you know, work in milliseconds. So if you've got a group of brain cells that are affecting tremor, say, movement, and we can find them and stimulate them, the effect is within milliseconds. Other conditions that we operate on may take other, some other time. What have been some of the most dramatic results you've seen then in Parkinson's patients? The biggest thing we see in Parkinson's patients is relief. And that's probably the biggest thing. And then the next thing is people suddenly have choices. So you see completely disabling tremor and stiffness and slowness and you can't use your hand. You can see it pop right in front of your eyes. And some patients in the operation will look at their hands and watch it move or they like the feeling of the tremor, which they've never had a holiday from despite multiple drugs. They see it stop. And it's quite a poignant moment in the whole of the theatre, actually that we like to see that. Hmm. We know that we're going to give them the best chance to have choices in their life and not knowing whether they can go out or go and visit people because they become stiff and slow and the drug wears off. These choices enable the person and all those people around them to actually get their lives back to how they'd like to, within limitations, because it's not a cure, but it's a long-term lasting effect if we get it in the right place. What a gift that is for you. Most surgeons wouldn't see instant response, instant results. Yeah, I, I think Terry and I have been, like I say, doing it a long time. Um, and to this day, it is still an amazing thing, I think. Um, but you're really kind of on a mission in there. You know, you really got to get to it and give them the best shot. And then it's later on when you think, oh, yeah, we did good today. But... A lot of concentration goes on, but it's, it is still to this day, and I've been involved in it for 20 years, um, a, a good thing to be able to do and help people. Do you ever get blasé, given you've done this 859 times, about being in someone's brain? No, never, absolutely never, because you're on a mission to find this area. It's like a little one-millimetre area. You can't see it. That's why you're reliant on the computers and the watching the neurons work, the brain cells work. So you're kind of focused on that and you just, that's your job. And the, what we do when the probe goes through, it doesn't destroy tissue. It, at the cellular microscopic level, it actually pushes cells apart. And as it's pushing cells apart, we're watching different areas in the brain and then zoom, we see where we are. And that's a very good feeling. Then everyone can kind of relax a bit. I actually love 
asking mm. neuroscientists about the brain. Yeah. Because every, your faces light up, this mysterious, beautiful thing that's the core of who we are. And you're in there, Peter. Yeah, we, we are definitely in there. I mean, people who have got the brain bug can't shake it. Um, when you think about it, everything in our world that we interpret is interpreted through the brain and the actions come out of the brain. So this conversation now, we're thinking very fast. We're in a building that's been built by the human brain. We have the capacity in the small area in the brain, the brain you can put in your hand, is where human thought is and emotion and the future and how we can stop destroying our environment, how we go to space. But we're quite happy to spend billions and billions of dollars going to space, which is an unkind environment for humans. We spend billions going to the bottom of the ocean, which is, again, an unkind but very important environment for humans. But we don't spend that billions and billions on a single project to work out how on earth does the brain think. But we have the capacity in functional neurosurgery and Terry and I and the whole team at QBI, we have that capacity to actually see what a thought looks like. Given all that, mm. and that you're aware of the enormity of what you're doing, I guess, mm -hmm. who then is the first person to say, hey, let's drill a hole in someone's head and put an electrode in? How did this all start? Well, the ancient Egyptians around 3000 BC drilled holes in people's skulls. Um, it might not have had such an outcome. They certainly didn't have electrodes, but the Egyptians were known to use electricity to help brain things like migraines and slap people's heads with electric eels. But <laughs> that all didn't of, work? No. <laughs> But all of this has evolved because everybody's actually involved in this. Surgeons, neurologists, neurophysiologists, neuroscientists. Everybody's realised that, great, help people, number one thing. But don't waste the opportunity whilst you're in someone's brain to look at it, how it's working and individual brains. And that's the fascinating thing. And people have been adding to that information for many, many years. We're in here now with the ability to not just help, but we're after watch those neurons. We've been in the deepest part of the human brain anyone's been. Um, the, at the QBI, we've been able to look at those deep, deep cells talking to each other and look at the circuits of how the brain thinks for something like walking. So we're at a crude level now, but we want to look at how people think and what's a normal thought perhaps look like and what's perhaps an abnormal thought in certain conditions, but help people and don't waste that opportunity. The future of humans is in the brain. If we help the environment, we'll hang out. But if we keep destroying the environment, we won't go forward. So you've got to get these thought processes, look after our own environment, look after our own interactions with people, and develop things, just keep developing and developing. The brain, when you think about it, if you want communications in the world, what we've learnt from Parkinson's work is that the brain is very quick in its communications. So I think if we can glean that, we'll improve communication between the world and try and dull down the noise that's interfering with good signals, which is humankind. That's Professor Peter Silburn from the Asia-Pacific Centre for Neuromodulation at the Queensland Brain Institute. You can follow QBI on Twitter or Facebook or give us a review on iTunes. I'm Kirsten McGregor. Thanks for listening.